He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to the first episode of Munson's at the Movies. I'll be your host, Kyle Hickman, and uh, I'm going to give a wide berth to the rest of these Munson's here and go ahead and give them the opportunity to introduce themselves. This is James the Imperio. Mark Rigby. It's your boy, Warren Hicks. It's your other boy, Case. Well, fellas, what's been going on? Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your world in movies recently. I'm trying to catch up on, you know, it's obviously award season, so this is the time that, you know, you start watching some, some of the movies that are going to be nominated for you know golden globes oscars that sort of thing favorite movie this year which came out this past summer was once upon a time in hollywood you know i loved sort of the nostalgia feel to it i wasn't obviously i wasn't obviously alive in 1969 but i feel like tarantino nailed he nailed that feeling of uh of what it was like to live in that era i think uh even though i did i wasn't you know, I had no familiarity with that era. I think you just kind of feel like you're in that moment when you're watching that movie. So I thought that was really well done. Um, and yeah, just been seeing. So obviously the Irishman and marriage story, those are pretty convenient watches. Just having them on Netflix. Love both of those. Um, saw uncut gems last week. I, I liked it and it's kind of grown on me the last few days. Um, just because Adam Sandler's, you know that role. He he kind of he kind of digs into it and doesn't really. The movie sort of grabs you right away and doesn't really let you go until two hours later. So um, I know you guys watched that as well, and I was a big fan of that. So I will stop talking now. But yeah, there's some good movies out. Yeah, your affinity for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that makes sense based off of your love of Dom Draper and the attempt to drink scotch. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, it got a lot of it got a lot of criticism for. Uh, for being not as, you know, like not a progressive movie because there wasn't, you know, a lot of people of color and, and Margot Robbie really only had like 10, I think she spoke like 10 words the whole movie or something like that. And, you know, so that's obviously something to take into consideration, but I, I just thought, I thought it was just really well done from a, from a cinematic sort of entertainment standpoint on Tarantino's end. Yeah. Once on a time in Hollywood is it's going to get all the awards love and, but I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's his like yeah, that's sixth best movie. movie. Very, very for very very. That's why I struggle. And I think a lot of people when they saw it, they're like, "What's happening?" I mean, it's it's at the end of the day, it takes place over three days, and I think that's you know Tarantino likes to obviously play with those sort of non-linear style, sort of weird standpoints from a from a storytelling standpoint. But I can see people's criticism with it. But I was I was pretty enthralled with it. I was I really enjoyed it. Well, I'll say my. Uh... My world is getting busy because I'm going to the Sundance Film Festival here in about a week and a half. Um, never attended before, and I've kind of built out a game plan. If uh, if I saw a movie in every time block from start to finish, I would see 26 movies, and I know that's not going to be possible because there's a good chance my mental health will just go to <laughs> shit by the end of the week. So I, uh, <laughs> if I could see 10 to 12, 10 to 15 good movies, you're going to be there, go- you're going to be going goal. to all those parties um, and stuff, and trying to right? eat a few meals. <laughs> I don't know if I have the credentials to be shown up. To you the never Netflix know. Parties, you won't know until knows. you try it, right? You, you need my login, Kyle. That's true. <laughs> my hope is that there. 
there's some there's some good movies showing in the nighttime, like 11:30 to 2 a.m. And my hope is no one goes to those because they're oh, all yeah. getting drunk at the parties. And so Kelsey and I yeah. can just roll in and yeah. Watch my whatever extended we want knowledge of Sundance time. comes from like season three, two or three of Entourage. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, two. that's where that's you learn. That's, that's, season, that's where you. That's, that's when the they have, a, they have where, uh, a threesome. Yeah, that's the episode where James Cameron agrees to direct Aquaman. I remember that. Uh, yeah, that oh. one. Oh yes, the classic uh, Entourage episode where there was like chicks and stuff. Yep, <laughs> that's that's real life. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah, people smoke weed. Right. <laughs> Every episode's a new surprise. Speaking of James Cameron, I watched Alita: Battle Angel last night. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> no, no one. You're like, what the hell? Uh, it is, it'll probably get nominated for visual effects at the Oscars. And I've noticed over the past six months, it's been this like internet Twitter phenomenon. I don't know if they just pay for troll accounts who advocate it all the damn time, but I was like, I at least got to check this out. The story is corny as hell. The acting is corny, but the visual effects are unreal good. So if that's your thing, Scope it out. It's on Redbox. So I guess let's let's transition to that. So up to this point, I know we don't have a a, a segment on it, but what's everyone's favorite movie they've seen this year? <laughs> you know what? I'm dropping it hot on you. Make sure you guys can think on your feet. Now I think what came out. Yeah. So Rigby, you stand one. with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I, I think that would probably be my number one as well. But I'm just trying to think back to what I actually watched. I mean, for for just like pure entertainment purposes um i'm gonna be that guy i i loved uh avengers endgame but uh i would say probably my favorite all around was probably book smart book smart yeah that was great. I, I loved oh, book smart really super impressed with uh olivia wilde's directing and beanie feldman yeah she's she's got more talent than her brother <laughs> <laughs> Jonah Hill's trash. Him passing, him passing on being the the Riddler. That <laughs> was a real missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, and that and that ending oh, so in Booksmart's hilarious. So good. It's one one of the better ones of the year. My favorite movie, and I'll I'll have to give you some credit there, Warren, because I think Booksmart's extremely underrated. Avengers Endgame, I I still put up there in my top five. Uh, but my favorite movie, and I know you didn't love it as much, Warren, is Parasite. I think that was unbelievable from set design to theme to execution with the actors the script uh, and the fact yeah. it just keeps you uh, on your toes the entire I, time i think i would have enjoyed for me it there was nothing better if, yeah I, I didn't go into it with this just like everybody's head on its, in its lap just blown it hard yeah, it's yeah i still i still i still mm-hmm. i still put it you know uh a mid 80s for me but there are a couple things that I would have changed just to kind of put it over uh, over the top, but I don't want to. I don't want to get into that because that one's still pretty fresh. Don't want to spoil the movie. I was thinking about was Knives Out. That was fantastic. Yeah, super fun. Knives Out was incredible. I know we talked about this yesterday, but they did announce. Ryan Johnson said that they're going to do a sequel with Benoit Blanc, and they're just going to. He's going to be searching some new mystery with the Colonel's secret recipe. <laughs> I think uh, I love Daniel Craig doing that accent. It's it is so over the top, but he kills it every time he does it. Yeah, it's so good. James, any thoughts on the yeah, favorite I'm movie? A list of the movies that have come out this year. And I've seen so many. I think the one that I had I, I had a ton of hype for it, and then when I went and I saw it, and I actually it lived up to the hype. I really enjoyed Joker. I 
it might not age that well because uh, I've only seen you know seen it that one time. And when you're something that's kind of like a mental drama and it's gritty, those don't necessarily age that well if it doesn't hit those same notes. Um, I'd say outside of like maybe the last 15 minutes of the movie, I thought it was great. I thought the last 15 minutes were a little bit too on the nose, but I thought Joaquin Phoenix did a great job. And it got 11 nominations from the BAFTA. All right, well, let's let's transition. We're going to move into a segment we could just call IMDb Birthdays. And so uh, this is something that Warren Rigby and I used to do back in the day when we all worked together. But Warren's going to tell us in the actor celebrity world, whose birthdays are today? And our job is to try to guess. Yeah. So we're just going to pay a little homage to some of these actors that make, uh, this, this fun, uh, new hobby that we have possible. I, I have to start with Nick Cage today. His Nick Cage's birthday. Oh, the, the goat himself. Yes. Wow. So how, how old, how old is Nick? Cage? Nick Cage. I was going to say, I'm 56. going 58. I'm going to say 64. That's probably right. He's probably no, older than you think he is. 51. He yeah, is 50, 56. Oh, man, I'm good. Who Nick? Rigby on the nice. dot. Rigby. I, I, was trying to think of his, I was trying to think of his first mo- like major movie, and what comes to mind is like Raising Arizona or some moon. Fast, fast Times, fast fast times, times at Richmond Rich High. high. Yeah. He's looked 56 since he was like uh, 20. Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> yeah, he's got some... He's got some hair plugs along the way. Have you seen his, uh, his have, tomb actually. in New Orleans? He's, he has a tomb <laughs> yeah. already prepared. It, it, is a, it is a pyramid in a cemetery full of just normal that square. That is actually the second tombs. time I've been on a tour when I was in a city, and the tour guide mentioned the horrific financial decisions of Nicolas Cage. Twice that's happened to me. The other time was in London, <laughs> yeah. and someone's like, and then this idiot bought this. I was like, Nick Cage again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's on brand. Next one is David Caruso. Yeah, I had to throw out David a slightly Caruso. random one here. Is that and, CSI and Miami? Yeah, he's the one oh, who takes the yeah. sunglasses off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hits the one liners. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say fifty six again. Sixty one. Uh, I'm gonna go fifty four. I think everyone's young. Sixty five. Sixty four. Craig was the closest. Wow. Yeah, it's that fire that, right uh, here, man. It <laughs> makes him look young. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up with one Useful. more. We got Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye himself. Ooh, uh, 40, 48. Jeremy, forty-five. Oh, Price is right. Forty-six. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go fifty. Forty-nine. Like, forty-nine. Oh, wow. I was about to say, Craig. Wow. No, well, I said I was one off. me again. Yeah. But you were under, Craig. so Price is Right rules. Rigby, Rigby right. takes the cake on today, I'll January seventh. Well, if it's Price is Right rules, the second sure, one no Craig one. didn't win because he overbid. No one won the second one. David Crusoe lives. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. Well, thank you, Warren. We appreciate that. We'll look forward to the uh, the next edition of IMDb Birthdays. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Rigby's got the early that, lead. So that's. <laughs> you've also never watched a cartoon before, and you've been watching Oscar-worthy movies yep. since you were probably uh, two. So, you're yep. You got a little bit of a head start on the rest of us. All right, fellas. Well, as you know, but our audience may not at this point, um, the way this podcast works is that we have a list of 300 plus actors. And before each episode, we pull out the old random number generator, the something the Google provides. And we select five actors to consider uh, for our conversation. 
And so, as you all know, this past time, our five up for consideration were Dominic West, Matt Dillon, Chloe Grace Morentz, Tony Collette, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, we obviously selected Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but before we got to that point, were there any thoughts on the other four options? Did you want to do them? Did you not? Do you absolutely fucking hate someone? Of those options, uh, I think JGL was probably my favorite choice. The movie I got to watch of his, uh, I had never heard of before. Of those, that was definitely the one I wanted. Other than that, I've seen Tony Collette in a lot of good movies recently, so I was uh, interested in her as well. Yeah, Tony Collette's really been on a tear. Just like for someone in... um who's been around for not very long time, but has made a, a serious impact. Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz. She's got some awesome stuff, some super entertaining things. Kyle, I know you hated Kick-Ass. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's to tie it's it up with Nick sense. Cage. I yeah. mean, her, her and Big Daddy, there, there's not much else he can <laughs> do. Kick-Ass was great. Wow, Matt, Kyle. Yeah. The, the only other person on that list that I would have considered would, would have been Matt Dillon, strictly for two movies. There's something about Mary. Wild things. <laughs> you didn't like him in Crash. Wild things. Wild things. Yep. Oh, that movie just blows so hard. <laughs> it makes me cry though. Yeah, I, I won't lie to you guys. Don't you dare talk badly yeah. about that. Best it's about racism. Like Did you get it? It's blasphemy. Yeah, Don Cheadle taught me so much about racism. I, uh, I'm actually a Dominic West fan, but I don't. I can't think of any movies he's in. I love The Affair, and I loved uh, The Wire, but I can't think of any any movies he's in. He plays like a second fiddle in a lot of his films. I'm trying to think films. of He's not he's much in, of a um, leading guy. He's in 300. And Johnny um, English Reborn. That's right. He played Sandra that. Bullock's boyfriend in 28 Days. It was where she went to rehab. Remember that? Where she was like a drunk. Yeah. It was like an early 2000s movie. Mm-hmm. Um and then he was also the bad guy in Money Monster with George Clooney. I don't know if you saw that. That came out a few years ago. It was a terrible movie. Yeah. But he played this. Yeah, he was like this. He plays he a really like good evil bad financier and, and sort of, you know, was sort of the bad guy in that movie, which he kind of has that sort of that look to him. I mean, obviously, he's the good guy in The Wire, and I think that's what probably most people will know him from, but he definitely has that sort of, like, weathered look to him that makes him look like he could be a bad guy, too, so. 300 is what comes to mind when I think of Dominic West. Uh That, like, conniving, sniveling role he played in that. Now, I'm I'm with you guys. Chloe Grace Moretz would have been fun to talk, because it would give us an opportunity to talk about Nicolas Cage in Kick-Ass, and she's done some good dramatic work, too, but Tony Collette would have been fun. She's had some great performances, but we got JGL, and this man's been acting since he was six years old. So that's, a, I think it's about as good of a starting point as we can get. So, how this is going to work, we select the actor, and that's it's chosen by the wheel, the spinning wheel of the five. And in this case, it was Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, we'll walk through a series of um, topics related to it. So, James will walk through some trivia. Craig will walk through a snapshot in box office history, and then we will talk about a variety of movies that he was in based on different categories. And so I will throw it to James, get us started. So what I have here is uh, Two Truths and a Lie about JGL. And when I was doing some research on him, it was wildly fascinating. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read off these three facts. Two of them are 100% true, and one of them is actually a different actor. Uh, I'm going to let you guys guess which is which, um, and then I'll reveal it after the fact. 
So the first fact is he's actually known to be a huge uh, Dungeons and Dragons fan, so much so that he actually wrote the foreword to the commemorative book titled 30 Years of Adventure, A Celebration of Dungeons and Dragons, which actually didn't come out that long ago. (laughs) The second fact is his grandfather was a film director of critically acclaimed movies in the 1940s before he was blacklisted in 1951 by Senator Joseph McCarthy for being a communist. Uh, And number three is uh, his mom actually ran for Congress in California's 28th district in 1970, but lost. Uh, California's 28th district is currently represented by Congressman Adam Schiff, who's been in the news recently. So of those three, which one's the lie? I think I know the answer because I, I'm pretty sure I know who the other actor Bad is boy, for one of those you. trivia questions, but I'm going to let the other guys chime in. I'm going to go with the McCarthy one. Okay. I think that's the lie, yeah. You think that's a lie? Yeah, I, would say, I would say the McCarthy one, okay. but since Rigby took it, I'm not going to. And I actually saw that. That was a plot line of Jason Alexander in a Marvelous Miss, Able, uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel episode I watched last night, where he got he got blacklisted from New York for being a communist. So I'm actually going to go with uh, I'm going to go with number three. I don't I, I don't remember where he's from, but I don't want to say he's uh, California. I'm going to vote Dungeons and Dragons. That's the lie. Because I know he's a sci-fi writer, so I'm going to say the McCarthy one as well. His, his grandpa was not a director. So Kyle obviously did know this because the first fact about Dungeons and Dragons is actually a Vin Diesel fact. Oh, my Lord. So his... Wait, Vin Diesel can write? <laughs> and he's a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. It's not just I am I am Groot, I am Groot, I am Groot. So his his grandfather was actually blacklisted by Joseph McCarthy and his mom really did run for Congress and lost. Wow. See, to be honest, James, I thought the first one was Joe Manganiello. Oh, that's I heard right. him yeah, do he, an he interview with Dungeons. the Barstool um, Yeah. The lights came no, out Barstool guy, and he's a huge Dungeon and Dragons guy. Like he's the he's the dude who sets it all up. He invites all these actors and celebrity folks in LA to his house, and they do it like super. So the two most no well-known Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons actors are like gigantic beefcake, like alpha males. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, and that is commentary on masculinity. Yeah, if, Someone uh, should make a movie about that. Playing D and D got me so over go. I played too. <laughs> Agreed. That was fantastic. James, Craig, tell us a little bit about the snapshot and box office history. He's got kind of an interesting listing of box office stuff. Hey, has it been all that successful when he's when he's carrying the project? Most of his heavy, heavy successes. I mean, you guys could probably guess a couple of them. What do you guys think a couple of them? It's gotta be Dark Knight. The big yeah. ones would be that Yeah. Yeah, Dark Knight, Dark Knight the right. you know, Joe. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Inception. Inception was definitely one, but but I you know I feel like he's a bigger role in that movie. Looper probably. Or so I, I looked at the four or the five movies you know that we're going to talk about. Fifty Fifty is is probably the one that's the most successful because the budget on that eight million, and it it made that in opening weekend. And so I, I think that was one of those movies that was rare. But the uh, the ones I thought were interesting, you know, were the ones where he was more of the focus. And uh, Snowden, on the one hand, was <laughs> this is probably going to surprise you guys, but it lost money. <laughs> well, Kyle and I didn't add to that because we definitely ripped it from the internet and watched. Well, that was, and the um, you know the other thing that's interesting about him that I thought was was he he does a lot better on a lot of his kind of his passion projects. He does a lot better internationally. The, the U.S. yeah, the U.S. and Canadian gross really? is not near what it is on the world gross. So, like somebody brought up Inception, the um, 
the U.S. Canadian gross on that was 293 million, and the world gross on that was 830 million. Wow! And I, I, I was wow. surprised by that, but yeah. I mean, his, you know, he's got a couple of really big movies, but like I said, you know, Inception, I think he carried, um, you know, and I was looking up like when I was just doing a search for him and, you know, there was a lot of articles and, and critics writing about that. He's, he's just not somebody that seems like he's carrying a lot of these, these franchise or not franchise, but carrying a lot of these blockbusters, so to speak. But the one that I really liked, um, did, did y'all ever see The Walk? No. That one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Made uh, it was only yeah, ten he, million U.S. and Canada worldwide. It grossed sixty-one million. Oh, okay. yeah. He plays right, a right. a high wire yeah. guy, this Is French it, guy, and he and he yeah, walks between the, that the movie World Trade Centers for people getting sick in the theater and having to like. I think a few people like there were reports of when it came out, a few people like of passing out. Cause it was so <laughs> it was so you know they they did such a good job filming it, and I think it's I, I saw it. Mm-hmm. I want to say I saw it in my apartment, which obviously would have taken away f- from that effect. But um, I don't really remember a lot about it. I know Robert Zemeckis directed it, and it's like obviously very well shot and cool. But I don't really remember his performance from that very well. Must not have been that. Must not have been that memorable. I thought he was the uh, he was the main character, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, F- French yeah, French accents always say that make us giggle. It's just hard to like take it seriously. Been been in the game for so long, and like you kind of know his his style. It's hard to sort of grasp that that French feel. I was like, have you guys seen The King Netflix with Timothy Chalamet and uh, Robert Pattinson? (laughs) 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 There, Robert Pattinson plays a Frenchman, and the movie's just okay, but his rendition of a Frenchman is hilarious, and it's just hard not it's hard to take him seriously yeah i was gonna i was gonna say you know actors doing uh accents and everything you know, if you want to see an actor struggle with an accent watch joseph gordon levin and holy matrimony oh, yeah. don't, don't, don't spoil don't spoil this <laughs> that is a perfect transition because that's what we have next so james tell us a little bit about his first feature film holy matrimony which who here thought Angel was a feature thought film? So Holy Matrimony was quite a journey for me. Um, came out in 1994 when he was a young lad. I believe he's 12 years old and he gets top billing on this. So the, he is the star of this movie. Uh, and folks, this movie sucks. Um, I, I gave it a 23 out of 100. And that 23 is mostly because... Patricia Arquette really tries her hardest in this movie, and she does a good job with a terrible role, a terrible plot, uh, a terrible character. Let me give you uh, the the general synopsis before I I kind of I wrote down my play by play on what I was experiencing while I was watching this movie. Um, so the plot is Patricia Arquette and her boyfriend, who is played by Tate Donovan, who's the guy from uh, he's one of the hostages in Argo. Um, they work at a carnival. <laughs> And they rob the carnival and they're wanted by the law. And Tate Donovan comes from a very religious family that lives on a commune in Canada. And so to get away from the law with all this cash, he's like, I'll just mix in with my family and we'll hang out there. And when he gets there, his little brother is played by JGL. And his little brother is like, oh, my God, my big brother is here. I love him. And they're running from the law. So that's how this movie starts. Ten minutes later. Well, first, the first thing I wrote down are shocked. Directed by Leonard Nimoy, the Leonard Nimoy. Didn't yes. see that coming. <laughs> he, 
<laughs> that blew me away. When I, when I, I paused the movie, I was like, there's no way. Like, the, and it's like, Spock, <laughs> sure as sure shit, Spock uh, directed this horrific movie. JGL is absolutely an adorable little kid. Uh, um, to- totally understood the 90s appeal of him being a leading man. That was very, very classic for that time period. The law enforcement is played by Courtney B. Vance, who I'm convinced has been a cop for like 40 years in movies and TV. He's uh, he's like <laughs> the head chief of police in Law and Order. And then here's where my notes kind of go off the rail. I couldn't place what the accent was. So they're in Canada and they're Christians, but they sound Swedish mixed with like a hard German. German slash like Polish, like they're saying like their V, their W's or V's, and like it's so over the top. I was like, I have no idea what anyone is supposed to sound like, but I'm still giving this movie like a chance until like ten minutes into this movie. Tate Donovan and JGL are driving to a bar because you got to take the eight year old kid to the bar. And while they're there, he sees like, oh, I'm on the news. Everyone's looking for me and my girlfriend and our money. And he's like, we got to get out of here. And as they get out of here, he's just chugging a beer in the car. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, I hate you for undisclosed reasons. Uh, and then he's like, oh, it's because you left me. And then he tries to steal the beer from the guy as he's driving. And as they're tussling, the most hilarious car crash happens. Like the car flips once. JGL is thrown from the car, but he looks like he's like sliding into third base. Like could not be more <laughs> safe in this horrific car crash. And then as the car's flipped on its top, like it just explodes for no reason. Dude, 10 minutes in and I'm like cracking up laughing. It's like Hobbs and Shaw. Look over uh, to the wifey who is like pseudo watching it with me. I was like, I just realized like I'm about to watch a terrible movie. Like it just clicked how bad this movie was going to be. Because of this kind of unbeknownst, uh, undescribed religion, their laws in that commune now are that Patricia Arquette needs to marry the brother of her dead husband, which is this eight-year-old. And that's the plot. That's where we're going. That's how we started off. That's what's happening. She doesn't seem to care that her boyfriend's dead. Uh, and it's just hijinks ensue of, well, this religious eight-year-old doesn't like marrying this harlot. And very little fun is had. I checked how much time was left 50 minutes into the movie. Um, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be funny or dramatic or heartfelt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt drives a car and no one cares. He gets stopped by the police, but because he's like a mature eight-year-old, they're like, ah, and he's religious. He should be able to drive a car. No one cares. By the end of the movie, like the plot device that turns them together is like the FBI being mean about him being married to a woman older than him and them having money. And so it's like, screw the FBI, I guess. It was terrible. At that point, I was like, cool, I'm glad this is over because I no longer want to see it and I no longer want to watch that movie ever again. But if you need to laugh out loud in 15 minutes, it's great. But after 15 minutes, you don't want to watch that movie. How dare you disrespect the Hutterites? They're also called the Hutterian Brethren. They're an ethno-religious group that is a communal branch of Anabaptists who, like the Amish and Mennonites, trace their roots to the radical reformation of the 16th century. And where are they from? That is 100% real. That is on Wikipedia. And they are, that is, I think, Hezekiah Munson. That is who it's based on. A member of that tribe. <laughs> <laughs> 
We don't have a cow. We have a bull, though. So you honestly using Kingpin as a transition, like Patricia Arquette's character trying to get assimilated with them was very similar with Roy trying to get assimilated with the Amish. So in my opinion, this movie, because I, I watched it, it was Kingpin mixed with Witness <laughs> with 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 Joseph Gordon Levitt in a little like Confederate soldier's hat yeah. the entire time. Yeah. The accent though, Warren, you're right. It was so confusing. I was like, is this are they German but like the, funny, the funniest part in the whole movie the funniest part in the whole movie, if you can make it in, it's like an hour in. But he's sitting at the diner with Patricia Arquette, and he gets food delivered to him, and he starts to pray, and he prays in like German. <laughs> yeah. And there's this like group, there's this group of truckers sitting behind him, and he take, the guy takes his hat off, and he's listening to him pray, and he says "Amen," and the guy, the guy sitting behind him goes. Hey, amen, brother. It's like something holy is going on there. Well, thank you. That's uh, hopefully the next actor we'll run into will have a better starting uh, point. That transitions to me. I've got the uh, the highest critic score, which is in this case the least funny. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. The his highest critic score is fifty fifty. So and by critic score, you're talking about we're using Rotten Tomatoes as our our critic fifty fifty. Is available on Netflix now. It's mm-hmm. pretty well renowned. You, right. You've all yeah. seen yes. Fifty Fifty, I would assume, correct? So, just a, it's a, a really good movie for those of you who haven't seen it. Dip into spoilers on this show. Sorry, the movie's been out for eleven years. Figure it out. Um, but, but in this case, Fifty uh, Fifty is about jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a leading man. Who, by the way, he was brought in like three days before the movie started to fill this role. Do you guys know who originally was cast? As the I, lead. I don't. Daniel He's Craig. British. It's Professor Xavier. Oh, Professor really? Xavier. Wow. James McAvoy was the original lead. Yeah, they. I was watching interviews and they called three days before production. They Seth Rogen, who co-wrote it, because uh, this the movie's based on the a real life story between him and in. Uh, no, it's, it's Paul it's Reiser. Not Paul that's, Reiser. That's, that's his that's, name. Who had a, cancer? He's an actor. It's. Uh, What's his name? Paul. Why. Paul Reiser is the guy from Will Reiser. Will Reiser. Will Reiser. There it is. I was halfway there. It's his life story. Seth Rogen encouraged him to write a story about it, and Joseph Gordon Levitt plays that character. So, basic gist is JGL is dating a girl. He's dating Bryce Dallas Howard, who looks amazing in the movie, and uh, seems seems things seem to be going well. And then he finds out he has a rare form of cancer on his spine, and it's about his emotional journey trying to figure out how to adapt and deal with the fact that he's he's got a potentially life-threatening disease. It's called 50-50 because he's got a 50-50 chance of making it. And uh, I, the some of the fascinating parts in the movie I found, number one, uh, Anna Kendrick plays the worst therapist in the world. Um, like the, the exact opposite of everything a therapist should do. She does it in the film, and she's pretty self-aware about it in her interviews. So that's at least good. Um it was nominated for a couple Golden Globes, one for Best Actor, uh, and also for Best Comedy or Musical. Um, those are kind of the, the big awards that it was up for. It didn't win them, but at least was nominated. Um, and in particular, it finished with so a Pearl good. Jam song, which I'm always a fan of. Uh, but there's nothing really funny to talk about a story of a guy who has cancer. But the movie's actually pretty entertaining at times, especially when he's shaving his head with... Uh, the same razor that Seth Rogen uses for his first hair. first shot. They t- that was the first scene they filmed, wasn't it? 
Um, it wasn't because they still had to shoot some shots with hair. The main thing they talk about is that you get one shot at the cutting the hair part. So Seth Rogen said his reaction to him cutting his hair, his hair was uh, very authentic. It was his real reaction. So um, it's a great movie. I, mm-hmm. I think the critic score is well deserved on this front. So that's my review of 50-50. But to the opposite, lowest critic score. Craig, I'm sorry you had to whole, uh, dig through this holy one. Holy hell. You had jury. It, uh, it, was, it was brutal. I, I felt like I was sitting on a jury trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to get through a court case. I mean, it was bad. But, you know, I, I've got a little bit of context to this. So it, when I was in high school, I'm older than you guys, I actually worked at, uh, at the movie theater in my hometown, and this movie was out. Watching it, it just it just reminded me how formulaic so many of the movies were in the 1990s. It, it manufactured intensity and the it girl as as one, and then you know Baldwin as the it guy as the other, and oh, it was bad. I, I failed to remember how bad this movie was. The uh, so that I'm going to start right out and say that the critic score is pretty accurate. Uh, it was it was brutal. So the, <laughs> and I doubt very many people have seen this or remembered it because they would have blacked out from its, from its awfulness. Demi Moore plays a mom, a single mom to JGL. Just the first scene, they're, they're in jury selection and they're, they're fixing to do a, like, a, like a capital murder case. And she's making jokes and the judge is making jokes and the whole courtroom is laughing. And, I'm, and I just couldn't help but think this is terribly unauthentic. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was so bad. It was so bad. She, she wants to be part of this. And it, it's just, turns out the guy is a mob, was like a mob boss. James Gandolfini and, shows some respect. Uh, well, he's not the mob boss. He's, he's another hitman. Um, the, the whole, I mean, Gandolfini's probably the highlight of it. <laughs> he, I mean, he... He was probably one of the better actors in this whole movie, and, and his part was, you know, was, was fractional. But our uh, uh, is is a treasure, Italian, folks. Tell you what, he is, and he he was great in this. He was he was <laughs> honestly he was great in this movie. Um, the but he just didn't have anything to move the story forward. He was he was just carrying that that character's role. But um, so anyway, so it turns out the mob boss is using Baldwin to, uh, to influence the jury. And he, he becomes enamored with Demi Moore's beauty and grace. And he's determined to not only turn her to get the whole jury to, to vote or to, you know, convict or to not convict him. And then, uh, and then she ends up, he, you know, he ends up falling in love for her, but obviously she, she doesn't for him. It, it, and the ending is just insane. They end up in Guatemala somehow and she she spoiler alert sorry everybody is 1996 she she shoots him in guatemala no you know somehow a movie that's that starts with a uh starts out with a courtroom comedy scene ends with a, a murder in guatemala yes. so she shoots alec baldwin yes. in guatemala that's why that's why <laughs> Demi Moore signed up for this film she fucking hated alec baldwin and was like i can shoot him in a movie? I thought you were going to throw yeah, a twist man. where Demi Moore shot JGL in Guatemala. <laughs> All I remember from this, is this the movie where J, uh, JGL like pleads the fifth? Like, All I remember is the scene where he, he like no. 
someone says I, I want to plead the fifth. And I remember asking like my parents, like, what does that even mean? Like, you don't have to tell, you don't have to talk to lawyers. Like someone's been murdered and you just don't have to do anything. No, his, no, it, it, he just plays this lady's son and he's, he's kind of, you know, I think the only reason he's got such a big role is Alec Baldwin's character. She keeps trying to use him as a, uh, as kind of a, a pawn to, to get her to, to do what he wants. Uh, it, and actually, his, his acting's not terrible in, in a movie, particularly since he was 10 years old, 12 years old at the time. Was he 15? 15. He, he, was, yeah, he was born Jane, in 81. Jane. Oh, no, I was going to say, he had probably, when it was filmed, he was probably 13, 14 years old. But it was, it was a very 90s yeah, movie. And what's crazy, I looked it up as, as, as you guys were talking about Leonard Nimoy. Erwin Winkler produced this movie. <laughs> is that oh, is Henry, Henry Winkler's Erwin brother? Winkler. No, no, no he, he was the guy that that did uh, Godfather <laughs> and all those other movies. I mean, yeah, he he produced he produced Goodfellas, Raging Bull. Oh. He's a big. He's worked with he's worked with Scorsese on a ton of stuff. Oh, I feel like oh, a jackass. A ton of stuff. <laughs> he produced uh, he produced Rocky. Like he's his he's got a pretty good. He's got. An awesome <laughs> they can't all be hits, you know. <laughs> no, they can't. you got to diversify. I, I, he either owed somebody <laughs> money or he lost a bet on this one. Who, Craig? Who? Who? I actually don't know who who directed that. Is it somebody big or not? No, I, I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize that guy's name. The other producer, Robert Cowan. The director's Andrew. Bur- oh. Andrew. Yeah, Bur- I, I had never heard of him. But yeah, it was. Uh, it it was a it was a tough watch. It was a tough watch. But like somebody just said, they're not going to be winners. Andrew Bergman wrote Striptease ah, and Blazing Saddles. Right. So, at least got did, a few I things. I did read that. This, this um, bag of tricks. Demi Moore won the Golden Raspberry. She won, for that year that this movie came out, she also won the joint Golden Raspberry for Worst Actors, also for Striptease. So, she won it. She was in... <laughs> well, striptease is a terrible movie, but it's funny because Demi Moore, you know, she'd be kind of... that was She was a star before that, but that movie sort of catapulted her, and then she had a go act in this as well and i feel like she had she had a one-two punch that she didn't really follow up on it was uh directed by brian gibson who's famous for what's love got to do with it the tina turner biography oh god Um, that classic and then and none of got it on vhs baby yeah all right so that's you probably why things went awry is uh poltergeist 2 you know the horror classic that is Named the same as the good movie Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, that's usually that's probably why this one. Se- uh, sequels are always better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that that brings us to our next topic, which is uh, a young yeah. Channing Tatum. <laughs> that's right. It's the best segue ever, right? You wanna you wanna introduce the movie, or do you want me to do that, Kyle? But the last two segments that we're gonna do, uh, one is the largest critic disparity. And the other one is the largest audience disparity. So for the largest critic disparity is looking at the critic score versus the audience score. And, you know, typically movies that like, like to smell their own farts and really pretentious have a really large critic disparity. And the other way when the audience really likes it and critics hate it are ones that usually make a lot of money, but they star Adam Sandler. That's, <laughs> that's going to be the introduction to this one. Yep, so I'll start with Stop Loss. So this is the largest um, gap between critics and the audience. Just doing my research, it has a 65 on Rotten Tomatoes for the critic score. 
and a 26 for the audience score, um, which is a pretty big, pretty big gap. Usually I, you would, um, just based off my experience with researching movies about war and soldiers, usually I feel like that's flipped. I feel like usually the audience likes movies about soldiers and critics sort of bash them. But I think the reason that I'm going to guess that the reason that there's such a big gap in this is because it's about the main character who's played by Ryan Philippi. He is this pretty heavily decorated um, soldier during the Iraq war. Um, it's him. It's Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and it's Channing Tatum. They're basically it's these three friends who are soldiers together and they're all come from the same hometown in Texas. But the main character is Ryan Philippi and he is set to be discharged from the army uh, after serving in Iraq. And when he, on the day that he's set to be discharged, he finds out he's being stop loss, which is basically this controversial policy that lets the president basically call back soldiers that are set to be discharged. So they have to redeploy. And I guess the reason this was such a controversial sort of movie when it came out is because this was during the height of, you know, the anti-war sort of protest going on. This was came out in March 2008. So while the war in Iraq was still going on, so it was a big issue at the time. But I think the reason that the critics liked it and the audience didn't is because it kind of glorifies. I, I my sense of from watching it is that it, it kind of glorifies a wall soldiers because Ryan Philippi, when he gets stop lost, he basically says, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. And he finds a way to he finds a way to basically go AWOL and try to make it to Washington, D.C. to talk to his senator, which I kind of found stupid because obviously that's why they have telephones. You can just call somebody. You don't have to drive to Washington, <laughs> D.C. You don't have to drive to Washington, D.C. <laughs> from Texas. So that was kind of plot hole number one. Going back to the accents, because they're from Texas, all three of these guys have really hardcore sort of Texas you know, Southern drawls. And that was one of the things that bothered me the most about it is that Ryan Philippi is obviously he, his accent is so phony that I found it hard to, you know, find the authenticity in his role. I guess I'll go back to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's role. So he plays this guy named Tommy, who at the beginning of the movie, he is saved uh, by one of his fellow platoon members from an IED. And right away, you kind of tell that he's going to be suffering from some sort of PTSD throughout the movie because you know this guy this guy's life flashed right away you can kind of tell he's like the uh he's like if you've ever seen the deer hunter you can kind of tell that he's sort of the Christopher Walken in it he's going to be yeah. going down he's going to be cool. going down like a dark path that you know a lot of people sort of know that this is not going to end well for this guy once they're all once they are they're all going to be discharged they all go back to Texas Ryan Phillippe's character finds out he's being stop loss and then he drives to DC, but along the way he receives phone calls and stuff from people who are trying to find him. And they tell him that Tommy, who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt is sort of teetering on the edge. And I think because Ryan Phillippe's character is so sort of engulfed in his own search for his own redemption, he kind of forgets about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. And also, um, also Channing Tatum's character, who is this Sergeant in the army who, um, also is showing some signs of PTSD, not as severe as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's. Long story short, the movie sort of ends. The movie takes a turn because Ryan Phillippe is sort of convinced to basically flee the country and go to Canada. And then he finds out that um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Tommy, commits suicide due to PTSD and due to just depression from, from the war. And, that. and that's sort of where things sort of turn back to sort of to put the plot on its head, I guess you could say, because Ryan Phillippe's character seems extremely guilty that he wasn't there to help his friend. Channing Tatum is still trying to track him down. 
he comes home for Tommy's funeral. He meets with his parents. This is Ryan Phillippe's character. And they have this basically this sort of ultimatum. They're like, you know, I could go, I could flee the country and you'll never see me again, but I won't, you know, I won't have to worry about dying overseas in the war. Or he realizes, I think, at the end of the movie that um, these guys are, have been so sort of engulfed in fighting this battle for years that the war will never, they'll never really be able to leave it behind. It's kind of, I was kind of surprised by the ending because it, the movie ends with them redeploying. Um, so it's like he wasted months of his life trying to flee this war and went AWOL. And then it ends with him realizing that he'll never be able to, he'll never really be able to get over the horrors of war. So he might as well just go back and, and do what feels right and do what he's comfortable with. Um, so it's a pretty powerful movie. But at the same time, I think it – I didn't really know what stance it was trying to take. I didn't know if it was trying to glorify AWOL soldiers or if it was trying to glorify uh, what exactly it was trying to do. Um, so I found it kind of muddled in that sense, but entertaining movie. And you kind of you kind of forget how big of a deal the war in Iraq was at that point. I would have been – you know, I still remember – high school and college when I first started getting into politics. And that's like all people talked about was like the war in Iraq and how big of a deal that was. Mm -hmm. Um, this was before the financial crisis. And, and so that was, that was the big issue. Rigby question, question so, for yeah, you. Do you fall more on the yeah. critic side or do you fall more on the audience side when it comes to the rating here? I'd say the critic side. I mean, I would give it, it has 65 and Rotten Tomatoes. I'd probably give it a, I'd probably give it a 60. Um, so I'm right there with the critics because I do feel like it it has the, the the message at the end, I think, is a powerful one. Basically, like this guy who spent all this time trying to get out, basically knows that he has no other option but to redeploy and do what, you know, do what he's familiar with. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty tried and true sort of plot line that we've seen before. But I think putting in putting that in the Iraq war context of it was um was pretty it was yeah. pretty much MTV's response to the Hurt Locker. Yeah, true. Yeah, which same I, same, same year and everything. I was about to say because because didn't Hurt Locker when the it was released Best in, Picture in what, it was 09? released in oh eight. Um, right. I'd I'd have to look at what what one actually yeah came out sense. first. I don't actually know. Yeah. They were they probably produced this, about the same time. You know, usually usually yeah. war movies I feel like have because they're so sort of ambitious. They have these like pretty powerful directors behind them. This the director of this is actually, her name is Kimberly Pierce and she's only done, she did the remake of Carrie and Carrie. Boys Don't Cry, which I think is a really good movie. There was a gap between Boys Don't Cry and Stop Loss. That was about nine years where she didn't make a movie. Her filmography, the, the, what I found is that she's only directed three movies and this was one of them. So, but yeah, overall I enjoyed yep. it. It was a good, it was, I definitely, I definitely spent two hours watching um, worse things before. So, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, every war movie I feel like has that character that you sort of know is going to be the guy that things are not going to end well for. Right away, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is sort of revealed to be that. And yeah, I feel like um, a lot of foreign actors in it. Abby, Abby Cornish is in it, who's, I think she's Australian or New Zealand, um, but she she's plays... She's Australian. She's Australian, yeah. She yeah. plays, she plays, um, she plays Channing Tatum's girlfriend. And she sort of has that Southern, you know, you, it's, it's one of those things that you just kind of try to ignore the accents because you know, that's not really, they're, they're it's not varsity, as, varsity blues. Level. Right. They're not as, they're not as authentic as they could be as if they don't you dare. <laughs> no, I, love talk shit. I don't want blues. your life. 
Sir. I love varsity days, man. <laughs> Twitter. So yeah, I would give it a just to transition to Warren now, I would I would be on the side of the critics and I'd give it I'd give it a six out of ten. So right up there with the where the critics thought of it. Yeah, I got I got the other end of the yeah, tell us why critics fucking hate so, Cobra. When it comes to his movies, there's actually three others that are have a worse gap, but he was such a minimal character that uh, I, I decided to not have to watch those. No, I, I support um, that decision. So, G. I. So one was what called the other uh, Latter Days, to, which uh, that has to do with. I believe it's, I mean, I, I don't want to, it has to do with more, uh, Mormons and someone, yep, you, you can uh, stop. one of them you, possi- yeah. possibly being gay. Yeah, we're out. We're out. So <laughs> you can stop that, that one. <laughs> uh, great, great. It's a punny name for sure. Um, the second one was Miracle at St. Anna, the, the World War II uh, movie. That one had a, a gap of 18. Um, then there was it's another like one me, called... Right? Yeah, then there was like another one called Shad- Shadow Boxer that uh, I-, I didn't pay any attention to. So that brings us to G.I. Joe, The Rise of <laughs> Critic score of 34, user score user score of 50. Every other person likes this movie. Which, <laughs> Interesting. Which says, says a lot. It's like 50-50. So yeah. solid budget, you know, 175 mil budget, directed by Steven Summers, who did like The Mummy, uh, late nineties. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. And mm. knowing that, knowing that he does that in Deep Rising, but uh, the Mummy, there are a bunch of people in that who make appearances in GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. Basically, there's this army group, uh, Channing Tatum and uh, which Wayne's brother is it? Marlon. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think so. That's yeah. that's that's says yeah, a lot. Say, yeah. character and don't cares. be a menace. It's, it's, it's about <laughs> so there. Was yes, it, Loke it dog? is. It Loke is Loke dog? Dog. They are. They come across this technology. They got to get it from point A to point B. It gets intercepted by this bad guy, and uh, a bunch of bullshit fight scenes later. They tell backstories to some of the people. You know, Sienna Miller is super hot, but uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie plays, uh, turns out he's like one of Channing Tatum's best friends originally. He's Sienna Miller's brother. Channing Tatum and Sienna Miller get engaged, and then they go off to war, and she's like, take care of my brother. Don't let him die. Bop, bop, bop. And Chan- or Channing Tatum and JGL are out uh, in the battlefield. Uh, JGL's in a building, gets hit with a bomb. They think he's dead. Sienna Miller doesn't want to have anything to do with that you know, Channing Tatum dick anymore. She ends up becoming this bad this bad girl. She gets brainwashed. JGL gets saved, and he has these nanomite bug things put in his body. Like honestly, if you didn't know he was in this movie, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell it's him. He's got all this prosthetic makeup. His voice is modulated. It, it just. You can't really tell. He sounds he sounds stupid. He's a mix between like Bane, Bane's voice, and like Darth Vader. He's just ugly as shit. Do you think they had like the general viewer if they didn't know it was him would have the same realization as figuring out it's Tom Cruise at the end uh, of Thunder? No, I think it's I think this one's even worse. 
Yeah, it's it's really that bad. Wow. Um, they try at times to, I think, try and get him across as like him, but they, I think, that's the only reason they throw in this flashback where it shows him for like a minute, and he's just this nerd, and that's that's all you see of him in his face. But yeah. you know, he he became really good friends with Channing Tatum through filming of Stop Loss. That's what kind of pulled him in. He didn't chan- or JGL signed on for this move or signed on for this movie, and then he brought in. He was like, "Hey, if uh, Channing Tatum's going to do it, I'll do it." So they both lost. But uh, <laughs> you know what? What's wild is the, the movie is called The Rise of Cobra. Cobra Commander, Big GI Joe. You know, I, I remember GI Joe. I was a big GI Joe fan Cobra as well. Commanders, yeah, Cobra Commanders is this great you know bad guy like you, you would think the guy's name you know jgl is probably in it for six seven minutes <laughs> there's there's no rise whatsoever of him <laughs> all of a sudden at the end he's like thrown into jail and he never comes back in the second movie Contract also, for, spo- <laughs> yeah. yes spoilers here Danny tatum dies in like the first five minutes in the second movie. oh dude that wasn't enough spoiler reward. <laughs> yeah. Bro, it's like Dude, Johnny Cage. I, I, Mortal went, Kombat I went and saw the Damn. new, the newest one in theaters. Um, now, before you go on, did you regret that decision, <laughs> or is this movie like so bad that it's actually fun to watch? Uh, I, I would need to watch the second one again. So, I mean, I'm willing to give it another shot because of the rocks in it. Everything he touches is just awesome. But they they basically trade out uh, Channing Tatum for the Rock. That's a pretty um, good trade. I'm not sure if, Ch- yeah, I'm not sure if Channing was working on his dance moves and everything for Magic Mike, but no, no he was still uh, that kind of oh, yeah. Danny, Mc- Danny, Danny McBride. Admitting that admitting that Channing Tatum is actually a funny actor was like one of the harder things I've had to do as a viewer because I just wanted to hate him his whole career because he's like really handsome and only plays the really handsome guy and him actually very good as a comedic actor really cut me deep yeah i yeah. think i think 21 jump street's one of the movies ever if i'm being honest with uh with him Jonah Hill. phenomenal and i agree he yep. i didn't i didn't find him as a comedic actor before before that and now i can't really watch a movie without seeing him as a funny actor yeah they said he was super down with anything and this is the end on that set they said he just had no ego didn't care. He hump whoever's leg he needed to. You just tell me what to awesome. do. Yeah. Uh, so this this one, I think this one was really just cashing a, a paycheck for uh, JGL. Uh, he filmed it in between. Let's uh, see. Right after this one, he did uh, just some like small projects. You know, just I think just kind of building up to do stuff with uh, uh, Christopher Nolan in uh, 2011. So. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of getting ready for that point, getting the bullshit out of his system. And it's wild to think there were some pretty big time actors in that movie. I'm looking at the the list, and Jonathan Price played the president. Dennis Quaid played General Hawk. I mean, there's some oh, yeah. well-respected Brent, Brent actors that are in that mix. One of the too. best uh, parts. He's he's in it for about 38 seconds, and every line he <laughs> says might as well just be an open asshole. Just. <laughs> 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 Like worst, just a flapping worst accent, blood. just trying to sound hard, and I'm like, dude, you're fucking George of the Jungle. Show Frazier some respect. I feel like Brent Frazier. This was this was just a bad one for him. Frazier Frazier's got good stuff. 
Trust me, I, I, I do like some of the stuff, but man, this one, this one he was does. bad. He does. Yeah, that's that's more the, the mummy that's, that's well. definitely what it is. It's he, the mummy. Well. So that's the Brendan Fraser uh, is the mummy. There's another bad guy, uh, the guy who plays Emotep in uh, in that one. He's got a, a role in this one. Yeah, and then uh, of course, yeah, Ar- Arnold the whole cast. Yeah, yes, he is. Is Benny, Benny in it? Benny, Benny has thirty Benny seconds of screen time. And you can tell from that little weasel ass voice that he has. Yeah, if he, if, if he wore a fez, bit. that would have been right. the only thing that really tied the the two movies together. But yeah, for me, I definitely, uh, I definitely, I'm on the uh, the critic side for this one. But I'm not as harsh. Yeah, 34. I'd probably give it a you know maybe about a 40 because there's there are some decent graphics in here. That's that's really about it. It was just more of a nostalgia feel, being the the GI Joe side of it. But there's there's a lot that they just kind of took from various yep. things. So, okay, well, fellas, that's that's only a few of the films that he's been in. I always like to leave some space to talk about some other notable performances. So, I'll I'll start by saying this: as we mentioned earlier, Angels in the Outfield. It's my first JGL experience, and. I was happy to know he was nominated for a Saturn Award. Ah, the coveted Saturn by a younger Award. Actor for his performance in Angels in the Outfield. Is that the yep. canceled model it's car? Better than nothing. Like, That's I've all never I'm saying. Heard of it's this not award. <laughs> 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 he, he got a Saturn out of it. Yep. <laughs> First car. 16 years old. The, um, you go. He's in two of my favorite movies of all time. One being Inception. That was my first. Uh, that might be everyone's first Christopher Nolan introduction. Um, blew my mind. Absolutely loved it. And he's also in The Dark Knight Rises, my favorite of the Christopher Nolan Batman series. Um, most people like The Dark Knight, but I love The Dark Knight. His character in both of them is like a, he's a supporting actor, and he's kind of just playing like a, the, the straight man, the, you know, the, the cop, the, the quiet sidekick on both of them. I'm trying to think of his role specifically. I think my that might be he he's in a lot of action movies and being an action star is you know how you become a leading man and I understand that. But I think his sweet spot is actually more in like the romantic comedy side. Um he's a he's a charming person. He's yeah. very charismatic and kind of like goofy and I think that plays way better with like romantic leads than it does with like being Robin or um you know, yeah. being the action star. So, like, his fight scene in Inception is iconic. I don't think he was the main draw of that. You know, he wasn't the thing that put that movie over the top. That was Christopher Nolan fully in his element. For sure. So, well, let's do it this way. I've, I found a list uh, on Watch Mojo of his top 10 performances. Let's see how many of them you can name. And I will, spoiler alert, of That's the five we discussed, only so one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. Holy matrimony. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, absolutely. It is, it yeah, is, it's definitely 50. It is 50-50 coming in I'm at gonna, number two. Kyle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say either Brick or The Lookout. Brick the is lookout, number five, so nine the lookout is The Lookout. Was, I remember so I both. actually saw that in theaters when it came out. That was a fun yeah. movie. 2007. It was fun. It was, uh, it was, very, it was very unique because you know he played this sort of – the, the plot of the movie is he gets in this car at the beginning and the rest of the movie is trying to recover from that and he's basically lured into this, lured into a bank robbery because he plays this security guard at a bank that these guys 
see him as like this vulnerable guy who can be a part of this bank robbery. But it, it also has a good performance by Jeff Daniels, who plays his roommate in the movie. Jeff Daniels is uh, oh, he's blind Jeff. in the movie. Love Jeff Daniels. Um, so it's kind of these two sad characters who are basically unwittingly thrown into this bank robbery that they um, find a way to get out of in the end. But it's uh, it was good. I that was one movie that um, I kind of forgot all about until I looked up his filmography the other day and I re- remembered how how much I enjoyed that movie. All right. So right now we have fifty fifty. Uh, James mentioned Inception, Brick. So two, four, five, Dark Knight Rises is Looper is eight, on there? and The Lookout is yeah. nine. Looper. What about uh, okay. Looper's number three? Uh, with with all that. What about aesthetic uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer? Bruce Willis, a younger version. Yeah, number one. Yeah. Five Hundred Days of Summer. I mean, is especially with one. like Zoe Deschanel being, number one. You know, like maybe like the female, yeah, the female counterpart to him, where it's like cute and America's awkward sweetheart. and charming. I I think that was great. Yeah. If you ask the general audience member to name one JGL movie, I guarantee you most normal people would just... What about, just, what about what Don John? Is that on there? Yeah. Don I John is number six. I didn't like Don John as much as... I, no. I, I, love the prem, no? I love the premise of it because you know what's, I just feel like that's something that every guy can sort of you know respond well to. Basically, this battle between pornography and, and real sex and, and relationships and all this stuff. And family. I mean, he's got... He argues family the whole movie. I just thought it could have been done a lot better. And that actually, I think that was his directorial debut. If it was it not? Yep. Yeah. He, he wrote and directed Damn. Don John. Um, but that was one of those where when I saw it, I yep. wanted to like it more. What I loved about Don John is it showed a very different side of what he can do as a character. Like, you know, it's so different than the other films we've talked about in terms of taking on this, like, douchey, sorry, James, but like Long Island, New why'd Jersey you, type of character. I know, I'm just like... <laughs> I don't understand what... <laughs> Alright, so you, we've hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven eight, and ten. nine. So um, seven and ten. I know he was in... I don't One know, of them is a third TV rock show. I know he, he played Third Rock <laughs> yeah, from the Sun. On. He played... I know he third played... Rock from what's the his name? Sun and Lincoln. Uh, he played Robert Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln... Or it, in, Yep, that is an, that is he one of the honorable mentions. Name ten, 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 ten things I hate about you. Yeah. Uh, ten things I hate about yeah, you is that's number such ten. A great yeah, movie. and he was. I mean, he plays the exact same role. Like he's just the the little like estranged yeah. lover boy, and Heath Heath Ledger destroys that movie too. I liked Rigby saying, he's "What's so his good. name?" Son in the movie so Lincoln. Yeah, I meant to say. <laughs> Lincoln's son. I meant to say he played. I meant to say he played what's his name in Lincoln, and it came out he played what's his son. You know, so that didn't. Who is the guy? The guy with the beard and the tall. Shit. The the beard and the tall. Garfield. You know who I'm talking about. So here were the other honorable mentions: Hesher, Manic, Mysterious Scam. I actually did see that. Was where he's on the. I don't know if you guys saw. That was where he's on the. He was the bike. He was on the bike, right? Hesher, Hesher was yep. a weird yep. one too. I watched that one, and that was just—he was just a long-haired guy who listened to metal and hung out with a little kid. That was, that was, that was the extent of the movie. <laughs> I don't who, know. Yeah, he was basically. I mean, let's be honest. He, he was basically Bill Hader's role from like uh, Hot Rod. <laughs> <laughs> That's inspiration for Hot so we Rod. We mentioned we mentioned Snowden earlier. That came I hated from. That. Yeah, that was his. Last, think, that was his last. I think it's film, because the, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on 
on Snowden and that how that whole thing that that documentary is awesome and it's one of those where like when you see something first you kind of you kind of have this thought of how good that was and then when you see a dramatized version of it it just sucks it can't live up to it so and Oliver Stone is for all the good movies he's made he's sort of made some stinkers in the last couple of years too so well he's he's part of an untitled Netflix film that's coming out next year with Jamie Foxx so that's kind of his, oh. I guess, next big I'm fine project. with it if Jamie we'll Foxx is playing a motherfucking yeah. Jones role. That's, a, that's about the only thing I want to see him do right yeah, now. What, what, maybe, Jamie, maybe we could do Jamie Foxx. I, I couldn't tell you what Respect he's been in the, the wheel, last Rigby. five years. We, we got to let yeah, the wheel just decide. Kidding. It's fate's... I know. <laughs> you're right. Yes. You're right. The wheel Hickman, decides like you, everything, Rigby. Hickman, like you were saying... You know you're going to say that. It'll show up like, like you five were saying times about we 2020, um, the trial of the Chicago Seven. He's uh, yeah, he's written one of by, those. And that written one, by Aaron so. Sorkin, so you know it's going to be, you know it'll that, be. Dude, this oh, really? this, this okay. cast is Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jeremy Strong, Sasha Baron Cohen, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella. That movie's yeah. been in the works Jesus. for a while. There was like yeah, at one point like Will Smith was supposed to be in it. I think there's been. Gemini Man was a good call, though. That was a good call. <laughs> Will Smith's been striking out for a while, decision. man. The CGI is pretty impressive in that movie. As much as I didn't like the movie itself, the CGI was... I just couldn't get over the, the trailer thinking that his line, you made a person out of another... You made another person out of a person was, like, the the hook. Like, that's something that, oh, I gotta see what this is. Like, I was like, that's how, yep. how people are made. Like, this is not interesting to me. <laughs> Well, fellas, this this will bring us to our, our last piece on JGL, and that's uh, we're introducing a segment on this is our chance to rate his career. So we've got essentially five different categories that, to consider, but the idea is on a scale of zero to 100, how would you rate JGL's career? So some of the things we've talked about is longevity, their pop culture impact, their acting flexibility, um, their ability to fill different types of roles, um, get kind of how they've hit in the award circuit. Um, and then their personal life. And you can also put in there, too, their ability to do other things like write, produce, direct, sing, whatever those things happen to be, how many tools they have in their bag. So um, anybody want to start us off and uh, give a rating that they, they want to – I mean, I know it's hard. I, I we don't have anybody with, to compare to. I think if you're just but, talking about longevity, um, obviously, you know, the guy was a childhood actor and he's still a star, you know, 30 years later. I think that's – I think that's – Import, I think that's pretty impressive in itself, considering how many, how many child actors sort of fall by the wayside in in Hollywood. Um, considering his grandfather was so, a communist that was blackballed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think if you're looking at it, you know, longevity standpoint, I think you got to give it a pretty, got to give him pretty high marks. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm willing to put a number on it, but you know, he's up there with. He's up there with people that have had pretty long careers for. Yeah. Well, we'll think oh, yeah, of how totally. many child actors have just burned out and turn into drugs and whatever. So, he's, he's still killing. Yeah, I mean, that's still killing. It's kind of like it's kind of so like I, Jason Bateman, you know, just like the guy's been around for he got his start really young and he's been around ever since. Annoyed yeah. in every with the, possible role he fills. With my I, I put a score to it. Uh Part of it was yes that he. I agree with you, Rigby, that he's you know been around for a while. He was a child actor, and I look at the it more so of. I don't think he was a very good child actor. Um, in the 
I think he was like very white bread. Like it was fine. Like he's gonna, you know, Angels in the Outfield is a classic Disney movie, and you watch it, and you're like, these are what I expect from a Disney movie. And Holy Matrimony, it's this is what I expected from you know an, an eight year old doing this movie. I think he started to come into his own a little bit more with Ten Things I Hate About You, Third Rock from the Sun. I think he still has the potential to truly become a great actor. I don't think he is there yet. I think he's been in great movies, but not where he was uh, the lead. I think some of the movies he was lead, I think Days of Summer um, is great, and I think he was great in that role. But I think there's we still haven't seen the best from him, so I'm excited to see him kind of right. develop uh, – yeah, he's only been nominated for two major awards. He has two Globe noms for 500 Days of Summer and uh, 50-50. So he's he, so, so certainly not in that because category. Of that, I put him at, at 65. I think there's room for growth and 65 out of 100. I think most of his movies are pretty good. I am excited to see where he goes. I just don't think he's quite there yet. Yeah, if I had to put a number on it, I was, gonna, I was, I was leaning towards like 70, low 70s. So I, I would be comfortable with 65. So, so what's the final number you're going to drop on us, I'll do, Rick, I'll because do we're going to average these out, all five. Seven, I'll go ahead and go next. Um, yeah, James, you, you said a bunch of really solid stuff, and I completely agree that yeah, I definitely feel that the best from him, we, we've yet to see it. I'm not sure what kind of role um, it's going to take to bring that out or the type of movie. I really, I, I want to see a little bit more diversity in, in the roles that he has. Whether it's a kind of a, a comedy or you know something that's a little more serious, he still always kind of plays like that cut and dry, just progressing the plot, progressing the plot kind of person. And I just want to see a little bit more out of him. But you know, you take career longevity. You know, I know he's done some some singing stuff on the side, uh, but like the the movies that he has been in, at least for me, have been. You know, like Inception and the the Dark Knight Rises and all that stuff. You know, really impactful. So, like for me, I'm going to give him a 73. Uh, but I do believe the the best is yet to come, and I, I really hope that with the uh, the movie next year, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, the been like really badass um, out of him in that one. All right, I will. Uh, I'll jump in. So I I took some of those and I. I... Gave point totals down to the uh, the category, so I gave him a 15 out of 20 for longevity because um, he is still doing the work as a child actor until now. Pop culture impact. I mean, his name is an acronym, right? And not like the, you say JGL, people know who that is. Um, so if he's got some, he's got a brand out there. So I give him a 13 on that front, not a 20. On, in terms of acting flexibility, I mean, he's the best way I would describe it, I gave him a 13 and I kind of talked about Don John versus third rock versus 50, 50. And so he can be a supporting role. He can lead some movies. Yeah. He's not Denzel, but you know, he, he at least shown enough variability to do some things. Awards. I gave him a four out of 20 cause he just hasn't hit that level. And then in the, per- in his personal life, he seems like a super private guy. Um, based on some quotes I read, he really like hates Hollywood in a lot of ways or hates, talks about like bad scripts all the time and not wanting to get into it for the money. Um, you know, big budgets he married? don't you know? phase him, that type of thing. He, he did a TED Talk. Uh, he So I saw an interview with Howard Stern that he did not, probably a couple of years ago, and he said he was he's dating married, someone he's married with out of the did. industry, which I wow. think... So, there you go. So he's not someone right. dating someone in the industry and looking for the hype, or the spotlight, right? So he doesn't have any scandals that I know of. 
and he doesn't yeah like to get a 20 from me in that category you got to be like tom hanks bill murray type of human where you're like popping in taking wedding photos or (laughs) having drunken nights out with people so i give him a 15 so my number is a solid 70 that's where i i hit so that the same as uh you guys as well all right um you know i'm i'm kind of in the same boat as you guys uh my my biggest thing on him is just outside of the saturn award he's just never really uh done any hit the award circuit all that hard so you know i would give him you know i'm gonna give him a 73 and um the thing that i like about him though is if if i ever saw if i ever saw that he was in a movie i would want to see it i agree yeah and uh and at the same time if, if somebody was like I mean, you know, can you believe he's up for an award? I would believe it. And so that that's why, you know, I was thinking it would be lower than that. Um, but I also like his versatility. And even when he has those dumb pop-ins on those, on those evening shows, the night shows, I, I like those too. So I'm going to give him a 73. That puts him, puts him at an average of a 70 for right. all of us. Yep, 70.5 right on the dot, which is pretty good. I mean, most most MLB hitters are – Getting hit three out of ten times. So. Yeah, I feel like I feel like bad. the more we do these, the lower these numbers are going to get because we're going to be like one hundred percent. Oh, there are some actors that I truly hate, so that that could entirely happen. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah, seems yeah. like the perfect middle ground to start with because it gives us, I agree. some flex up and down. You know what I mean? If we start with someone truly yeah, awful had, or great, had, it's hard to compare. You know, he's been in movies so. that we saw as kids too, so like that was a big, you know, it kind of. Yep. He's got a, a wide a wide berth to choose from as <laughs> as my boy Ernie would as my boy Ernie would Come say. A wide berth. Well fellas, that's that's JGL. Uh and so we'll wrap it up on him. But as we move on to our next episode of Munson's at the movies, um the random number generator has spoken. And we have five options that we will be picking from. As James said earlier. Uh, about the wheel the wheel decides and so our five options are john lithgow peter stormare adam scott sam neal and Kristen wig any preliminary thoughts on the options any you all are looking forward to you're hoping the wheel brings that is us a some very luck. eclectic list i feel like you can't really go wrong with any of them yeah, each time you say adam scott i think michael scott and i struggle to think of things that prison michael <laughs> If we do Adam Scott, he's the best character in that movie. The clip from Step Brothers, his character is in the car. (laughs) I agree. Did you guys ever see him in Party Down, the TV show? So, so good. Oh Oh, man, Party Down is one of the funniest, one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. It's a show. One of the. I was just gonna say, Party Down was one of those shows that, if you haven't seen it, it's two seasons. It's one of those like extras with Ricky Gervais. Like it's just two quick seasons that I I recommend to everybody that if you haven't seen it, watch it, and you'll just die laughing. Hickman, I know, I know why you want Sam Neill. <laughs> Hunt for the Wild. Why do I want Sam Neill? Ah, <laughs> oh, one of my favorite <laughs> movies, man. It's amazing. You guys might uh, be it's, haters. It's funny as hell. It's one for of my sure. favorite movies. So good. And just Jurassic Park. I mean, just getting a chance to talk about the original Jurassic Park is worthwhile too. But we all, I know just as well as every one of you here that the number one person you want from this list is Kristen Wiig. And we all know why. Because of, because we, yes. Because we want to talk about McGrover. I'm excited to see uh, what I get assigned here. I I hope that if if, uh, we could change up who gets to choose the critic scores, high, low, 
all that fun stuff. Because if I get the worst movie, this person's going to get uh, scathing reviews. Scathing. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think for the sake of our audience, we can switch it up every time and give, see, see if we can uh, serve in some different roles. Maybe put it that way. We can't subject the same person to the worst mo- movie over and over again. They will quit. 100%. We will, we will be foremost <laughs> at the movies and declining quickly. All right, fellas. Well, as we wrap this thing up, I'll, I'll toss this out there. One word to describe JGL's career. We'll go around. A quick summary on your thoughts on JGL. One word. Entertaining. Ooh. Entertaining. I'm going to say consistent. Rigby? Uh, going back to what I said earlier, I think – I think it's important to highlight that the guy's been in the business for 30 years. So I'll say, I'll say longevity. <laughs> I was about to say, is that one big is hyphenated a, sentence that you're telling leading us right up there? to the one word. Um, charming. Absolutely charming. And I'll toss my nostalgic just because you gotta love angels in the outfield. All right. Well, gentlemen, appreciate your time today. This is our uh, first episode, hopefully with many more to come. Um, for those listening, um, look out for us on social media. You can follow us, Munson's at Movies, on Twitter and Instagram. That's where we will let the wheel decide who we're going to choose next time. But until then, y'all enjoy. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. <laughs>